So great to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? This morning, we have a, our main text is 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 through 14. So let's turn there for a minute. So our main text, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 14. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickened all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so from these scriptures, we will see some keys to Christian discipleship this morning. A disciple, that's us, by the way, a disciple is, is known by what they flee from, what they follow after, what they fight for, and what they're faithful to. All right, so we've got alliteration this morning from our homiletics class. Pastor Heyer would be very happy with the alliteration. Flee, fight, follow, be faithful. And we're going to add an extra F, be fervent as well. First of all, flee these things. But thou, O man of God, verse 10, or verse 11, what is he talking about here? O man of God. This reference to Timothy as a man of God affirms his authority as a leader in the church in which he has been placed. Paul, the Apostle Paul, placed Timothy in charge of a certain area of churches in Ephesus. And he is affirming his authority. The whole book was written to counteract false teaching that was happening in the area and establish Timothy as the one who speaks for God, who is in Paul's kind of line of leadership. And he's writing this to, to help Timothy, to help him set up disciples and, and set up church leadership, and to counter the false teaching that had been taking place in this area. So he's using this phrase, you, O man of God, the one who has been given the authority by the Lord in this area. So he's speaking to Timothy and affirming that he is indeed the leader. And he says, flee these things. But what is he saying to flee? So in order to do that, we got to back up a few verses. Paul was giving Timothy encouraging words to combat the prevailing attitude in Ephesus. And that attitude was towards riches. It was towards a prevailing false doctrine that was being taught that allowed people to believe, and this is going to sound a little familiar, that godliness will eventually result in material blessing. Doesn't that sound familiar? That was a false doctrine that was happening all the way back then. We hear that even today. Godliness will result in material blessing. <clears throat> Where do we get that from? Look at verse 5. 1 Timothy 6, verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, Supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. And then he says, he goes on, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee these things. Wrong motives of the teachers in this area 
were driven by an appetite for monetary gain. I've seen this in many places. I visited a church in another country, and we were talking with the pastor, the, the people I was there with, and he was talking about all of the things that needed to happen in the church, you know, building and so forth. And, and But he said, but first I need them to give more money so I can finish my kitchen. No joke. <laughs> I need them to give more money so I can finish my kitchen. And then we'll worry on the church. The church is literally sticks and a thatch roof. And he says, I need them to f- give more money so I can finish my kitchen. And proceeded to ask for an offering while we were there <laughs> so that he could finish it. And then he asked Zion Fellowship, who we were there representing, if we could give an offering to help him. And we politely declined because Pastor Bailey would have had her hides. <laughs> so, But pursuing the appetite for monetary gain, the love of money, verse 10, is the root of all evil. While some coveted after... They have erred from the face and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And he's telling Timothy, but you, not you, man of God, you run from these things. So this is the context of this verse. We flee that deadly appetite for monetary gain or that supposition that living a godly life will cause you to have some sort of monetary gain. There are other things in Scripture that we are also to flee from. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, which them that call on the Lord out of your pure heart. Another thing we flee 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Also, John 10, 5. In the, in the teaching on Jesus being the shepherd and we are his sheep, he says, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. We flee from the voice of a stranger. Run! Get out of there! Run away! These are things where we're encouraged and explicitly instructed, run away from these things. Run like something's chasing you. Because it is. There's examples in scriptures where people ran. Or at least didn't fight. Jesus didn't fight back when his accusers came to him. In fact, in one of the most remarkable demonstrations of restraint, he's confronted by a legion of soldiers in John 18, 5 through 8. He says, who do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus stood unto him and said, I am he. And yet the words, I am, they all fell over. Demonstrating power just in the words, I am he. But he didn't fight. All he did was speak, and they were overwhelmed. And then he gave himself to them. See, that's what I don't like about some of the the stories you see of this time of Jesus' life where they collapse on him and take him and cuff him and there's this big rumble. 
It's not the case. He just gave himself up. He let them take him. He didn't fight at all. John 8, 59 also, they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. He hid himself. He didn't fight. Joseph, a prime example, when he's confronted by Potiphar's wife, and we don't have to read it all, Genesis 39 for your notes. Potiphar's wife, Joseph, was a handsome young man. And she was drawn to him in a lustful way and was making advances at him. He didn't sit there and try to fight it and resist. He ran, ran away. And she was trying to take him and left his coat behind. Ran away. David fled from Saul for years. Didn't fight once. He wrote Psalm 143, verse 9. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. <clears throat> so as we close out this section on fleeing and go into the next section, which is follow, I want us to consider the comparison of flight and pursuit. It's a vivid way of viewing Christian discipleship. Some things must be constantly avoided, and not just passively avoided, but actively avoided. To flee implies, again, that someone is chasing us or something is chasing after us. And Paul is using, he was very aware of the evil principalities and powers at work in this world. Some don't express those aspects in the same way, but we understand the principalities and powers that are actively coming after us. And if we ignore the active power of evil in the world, we do so at our peril, right? We, if we try to fight in an area where we shouldn't be fighting, we're going to lose. Many of us, at least in my generation, I'm not sure about some of yours, but <laughs> watch out. Them are fighting words right now. <laughs> we were taught that real men don't run away. Real men stand and fight your ground. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep fighting. But there are times when that is not the case. There are times when, especially when it comes to something evil like we've talked about already, wisdom calls for us to get up and run away. Now, there are times where we do fight, and we're going to talk about those in a minute. But wisdom, in some areas, especially in these areas, is to run away. Wisdom is to run away. We need to know what the right response is. Lord, do I flee? Lord, do I fight? Now, follow these things. If you are fleeing something and just running aimlessly, you're not really doing much better. You have to follow after something or at least pursue something. And Paul lists six things in verse 12. Follow after righteousness, which means to do what is right in relation to both God and man and emphasizes our outward behavior towards God and man. Isaiah 51, verse 11. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence you are hewn, unto the hole of the pit which, whence you are dagged. Follow after righteousness. Pursue it. Godliness or piety also translated as God-likeness, refers to our reverence for God and our attitude towards Him. So righteousness, our attitude 
towards God or, or men, outward behavior, godliness, inward behavior, piety, reverence, respect. Of course, faith, faithfulness, love, which is that agape, love, divine love, charity that we seek after. Love that cares more about others than it does for ourselves. Greater love is no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. That's true love. If you love me, agape, obey my commandments, all of those things that are outpourings of love. Patience, he says, endurance or steadfastness, running the race with patience and so forth. And then meekness, which is a holy acceptance of our circumstances. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That's a definition of, oh, well, at least a, a, an aspect of meekness. We know that whatever's happened to us, because I'm doing the right thing and I'm in God's plan, then it must be for my good. So I accept it as coming from the Lord. Pursuit, following after, is the other side of Christian discipleship. We talked about fleeing. Now we're talking about pursuit. It's active, intentional pursuit of these specific virtues and others in Scripture as well, which we'll see. Other things we follow after. Follow after that which is good. Psalm 38, verse 20. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that is good. Those who give evil are my enemies. I follow that which is good. I follow after that which is good. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after it, if that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of in Christ Jesus. He says, I follow after that mark, that prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a striving, active pursuit. That's my goal. That's my destination. It's not just running around wildly. It's I have a goal in mind. I'm pursuing something. First Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. We follow after Christ's example. Follow his steps. John 8, 12 also, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, follow Christ, follow his light. will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So fight or flee and pursue two active words, active verbs, demonstrate our discipleship, if you will. Run away from these things and follow these things actively as though they are our destination. Now we come to verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. The Greek word for fight gives us the English word agonize. It was used in both military and athletic endeavors to describe the conception, con oh, sorry, to describe the concentration, discipline, and extreme effort needed to win. The good fight. Fight. As an athlete who wants to win a gold medal or a military person who wants to make sure that in the, when the day of battle comes, they'll be victorious. I was watching a documentary on Navy SEALs, <clears throat> and they'll go on 
deployment, they have deployment cycles where they're just, and many other people are like this as well. They'll have a six month deployment or a three month deployment. And for that six months where they're deployed into a forward area, there's 18 months of training. They train for 18 months, then they go for six months and they go through that cycle. Generally, that's how it works. 18 months of training for six months of deployment. That's how prepared, disciplined that they are before going into battle. Paul adds these two words, fight. And then later on it says lay hold of, which we'll talk about in just a second. It's designed to show us the disciplined struggle that is needed to enter into the things that God has for us. It requires an intentional effort. And if we're not careful, our, we can wake up and our mind can go a little bit astray and we can say, ah, today is going to be an easy day. I'll just coast through today, maybe. I don't have to be so actively fighting against the, the mind. Maybe you had a couple easy days in a row and I'm just going to lay back. And that's when the enemy comes in and something happens and now you're completely out of whack. But it's active. It's disciplined. Right? Contending for that prize, which is eternal life. Paul says, I press toward, right? Actively fighting for it. There are some other things that we can fight off, fight off bad things. Colossians 3 8 and 9. Put off all of these things anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with these deeds. These are things you fight off. These are, these are fights that you should have. When anger comes in, no, I'm not going to be angry today. No, that person, yes, they aggravated me, but I'm not going to respond in anger. That's a fight, right? That's a battle. And if we're not careful and we're undisciplined and our tongue gets ahead of our brain, we can lash out and we lost that battle. But we have to keep fighting, right? Keep fighting. Put off these things. We're to resist the devil, James 4, 7. A lot of people quote James 4, 7, part B. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But we have to make sure that we're submitted to God first, that we don't give any place to the devil, like Ephesians 4, 25 and 27 says, put off, put away, fight off lying. Every man speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. We can't give him any foot in the door and then resist him and expect that he is going to leave. Is that not correct? If we say, get out of here, and he says, but you invited me. Right? We have to be careful. It's an active fight, conscious effort. Now, he will flee from you. Not you, it's Christ in you that he's fleeing from. Zealously guarding what he has given us. Look to chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. That's also a fight to protect that which we've been given. Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. 
This is active fighting, keeping, protecting that which has been given to us. And don't fall into these traps of vain babblings, foolish arguments. Have you ever met somebody who just likes to argue? They just want to debate. They don't care what it is. You could tell them the sky's blue and they'll say, no, nah, it's green, dude. <laughs> right? No matter what, they will want to fight with you about something or argue or debate. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. And actually, Paul's saying, avoid that nonsense. David, it, he did flee many times, but when it was time to fight, he sought the Lord and said, Lord, shall I go? Will I be successful? He did, 1 Chronicles 14, verse 10, David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. <clears throat> He didn't, know, he didn't go unless he knew he was going to win. No one wants to fail. You don't train all day to learn an event and then go to the Olympics and expect to lose. You want to win. There's no participation trophies in eternity for living the game of eternity. There's no, oh, well, you showed up, you did your best. No, you have to expect it to win, to cross the finish line with finishing it, finishing your race. We can only do that with Christ, who says, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus also, there, was, there were times, one specifically, when he did fight. Twice he did it. Matthew 21, 12 through 14. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the table of the money changers and seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came into him in the temple and all were healed. This time he did fight. And he threw everybody out. He flipped over the tables. This is holy indignation here, what they had done to his father's house. And he fervently, violently, drives them out. He did it twice. Now we know in Revelation, there's a different time when he's going to come and fight the enemy, the devil, the Antichrist, and so forth. And it's going to be a complete, completely lopsided victory. <laughs> Where he's got the armies all together, and all he does is come from heaven. Revelation 19, and also in Revelation 20, all he does is show up and they're destroyed forever. So when the time, the real time to fight is, with all eternity on the line, he's going to show up, and if you're not on his side, you better run away. <laughs> There's no place you can hide, right? Also, our heroes of faith, Hebrews 11, 34. Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight. Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. And Paul, at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. Here he's saying, I've won. It's like crossing the finish line 
and getting that gold medal, saying, there's my crown, it's waiting for me. I finished my course, I fought the fight. This is someone who actively was pursuing it throughout his whole life. It says, I finally got it. So sometimes we need to flee. And then we have to follow after certain things. And then there are times when we are to fight. Now I said we're going to give you a special F. Here it is. Lay hold of eternal life. The tense of this verb describes a completed reality. A single happening. It suggests that one can come to the point of holding on to the reality of eternal life as an assured possession. While the fight of faith is a continuing process, the assurance of life eternal by God's grace and mercy is a settled reality. We have to understand that and lay hold of that. Yes, I have inherited eternal life. I'm fighting to pursue godliness, righteousness, holiness, but eternal life is mine. Now we know we still have a choice and we still have to stay on that path, but laying hold of that, having confidence in that fact, deliberately holding on to it, being fervent to guard it and protect it. Romans 12.11 says, not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, fervency, vehement, zealously pursuing and holding on to. Fervent in prayer, James 5.16. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There was this lady at Starville who, when she prayed, stuff just happened. <laughs> and when, when she, she, would, she would pray and things would just come to pass. And it's like, okay, I know that sister so-and-so is praying and Okay, I'm, I'm good because <laughs> she's praying for me. And there's people like that all the time, prayer warriors, right? Who, you know, if they're praying, they're fervently praying, then, then that's, there's that sign of good things to come. <clears throat> fervent in love. 1 Peter 4.8, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. This is not just a ho-hum laissez-faire, as the French would say, attitude of serving God. It's a fire that comes and consumes us, being on fire to pursue the Lord. Finally, faithful. Flee, follow, fight, fervent, faithful. 1 Timothy 6, 13-14. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who's quickened all things, and before Jesus Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, blameless, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, you don't be like these other guys who are telling these false truths. They're, un, they're motivated by greed. They're motivated by their own pride. He says, you... Run from those things. And he gives him this exhortation. And then he says, before God and before Jesus Christ, you keep the commandments that you've been told. You keep the commandments without spot, unrebukable, blameless, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful to the end. And even though Paul had extreme confidence in Timothy, he had to have, or else he wouldn't have left him there in charge of this entire area. 
He says, you be faithful. You run away from these things. You keep what you've been taught. You keep the commandments. Be faithful to the end. And that's what the Lord's looking for. It's called, chosen, faithful. Faithful to complete what we've been called to do. Faithful to perform the work that we've been given. Paul uses in this little section and in many of his books, active and forceful verbs to describe how we should be living our lives. Flee, follow, fight. Faithful. Many people think Christians should be passive and just waiting on God to act. I'm going to sit in my rocker and just wait for the Lord to come and get me. But on the contrary, we must have an active faith, training, working hard. There's a certain amount of sacrifice to do what we know is right. And it's a time for us to be active and pursue that which God has called us to do. This is not a time for passivity. It's a time to be active. And even if we have to flee, and we should flee many times, actively flee, consistently flee. It requires training. Our discipline and obedience largely define how we will enter into eternity. Will we be a contributor or just a spectator? Right? Where do you want to be? How would we rank ourselves in this little area here? These active words are so powerful, and Paul uses them all the time. What a blessing we have to have verses like this to stir us up a little bit, to encourage us, to flee when we should, fight when we should, fall or after these righteous things, be fervent, and then, of course, pray to be faithful to the end. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for these words that you've given us this morning. We thank you for the challenge that we have in your word to be active in our discipleship, to be active in our relationship with you. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us grace. Lord, meet with us. Help us in areas to know whether we should run away Maybe we do need to fight, but Lord, help us, Lord, to follow after righteousness and godliness, to follow after meekness, to follow after love and patience, Lord, and then give us that fervency, Lord, that we could be faithful to the end. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. Ask your blessing upon the rest of our time and the rest of our week. We ask, Lord, that you would bring Pastor Daniel and Sarah home safely to us, that we could be reunited this weekend. Come together next week to praise and worship you once again. We thank you, Lord. We bless you and ask your blessing to go with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. See you next week.